This is Alex. I'm from Boston. Hello, this is Jackie, and I'm from Houston. Hey, this is Rahul from Stanford. And we are the Premier Chess. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chels, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined by my co-host, Rahul. Rahul, guys, season three has come to an end, and boy, can I tell you guys, I am excited for this one to be over. Not from a podcast standpoint, but from Chelsea's footballing antics. For the men's side, at the very least, it needs to be done. Rahul, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. It's been a good break off. Uh, but was it two weeks ago we did that last episode? And it's not intentional that we were, took this much time off, but things came up and not much happening. I mean, I was kind of tired talking about just losing or dropping points and all of that, everything that we've covered this season. But I guess we're back and we're going to talk more about that. There is a lot going on in the summer activities as far as things goes, but we will be saving that till we get some more concrete information as to what's going on. We all know Maurizio Pochettino is coming through the door, so I'm sure more people to come in, some to leave. But today we're going to focus on a season review. I'm not sure how many of you are excited to listen to a season review, but it has to be done. We need to talk about how Chelsea performed in 2022-2023 and cover four managers that kind of took us through the ups and mainly downs of the season this year, but I think it should be a fun one. We'll make it fun, Rahul, hopefully, and we'll kind of go through there. So there's our maybe, top four. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you can take us through our summer signings because we were excited. You and I had just come off a summer tour. We followed Chelsea around and we were feeling the atmosphere and the energy and the electricity, dare I say, with the lightning strikes in North Carolina. And we've <laughs> followed Thomas Tuchel. But let's talk about summer signings. How did that summer start for us? It started off, I mean, about a year ago at this point, Todd Bowley and Clear Lake were confirmed as the new owners. There was a lot of positivity, optimism, and just looking ahead to the future and kind of building off of the couple of two seasons under Thomas Tuchel. And I think we started off well. Raheem Sterling ended up being the first mm -hmm. signing. Uh, and at that point, and maybe even now, a lot of people would say that's a good signing for the club. Uh, Premier League proven, a guy that brings in experience in terms of winning things. And, and so a good signing, about $50 million was the reported fee. Uh, of course, there's, there's obviously things behind the scenes that we don't know of. Followed up by Koulibaly. And uh, Jackie, you and I, you mentioned uh, being in Charlotte. We saw Koulibaly walking. And obviously, he wasn't part of the squad, but he was walking behind the scenes and interacting with fans. And, and we were excited, right? We had just lost Rudiger, uh, a defender who had kind of come into his own under Tuchel and won us the Champions League and won us some of the other trophies that we won and he decided to part ways and leave on a free and so that we had a big hole to fill we thought Koulibaly was going to be the one that would come in and fill and uh, saw the videos of him asking for John Terry's number which got us excited uh, so as you can see, the excitement was just building after one after the other with these signings. Kukurea comes in. Oh, we stole him off of Man City. He knows where to be. He prefers the champions of Europe. Uh, another signing that at that point we were like, great, this is good cover for Ben Chobel, who was you know coming off of an ACL injury and uh, just needed to be given time to come back. Uh, especially since we, used to, we were playing the wing back positions under Tuchel and Kukurea could fill in as a center back as well. 
And speaking of center backs, we went ahead and signed Wesley Fofana now. Uh, and as you can see, I mean, there's a lot of these players, young players and, and the likes of uh, Fofana, Kukurea, but experience as well. And and we were feeling good. We were feeling like this is the point where we're adding the right positions and the right personnel to this team. Of course, we're spending quite a bit of money, but that's kind of expected when the new owners come in. Uh, Carney Chukameka comes in as a youngster. G- Gabby, Gabriel Slolina comes in from Chicago Fire, although he comes in in January. So um, a good signing from that perspective. Zakaria comes in on loan. Mm. And the one that I think got everyone excited on the last day was Obama Yang, uh, Thomas Tuchel's son, some might call him, and <laughs> and a player that we needed because we yeah. signed players in defense, we signed players in on the wing and a couple in midfield, but not really anything up front, which is where our problems were the season before. Uh, so Aubameyang comes in, and that was the end of all the positivity. Not because of Aubameyang, <laughs> but everything that followed from then on. Look, if you take a magic wand and you wipe my memory of the season so far, I think if we're having this discussion now and you present this transfer window to me, I think I'd be happy. I think we did some good business based on what I don't know. Obviously, what I know now, it tells me that it wasn't great business, but looking to up maybe the goals from our attacking midfielder slash wingers, and Raheem was a natural fit for that location. We wanted to get another center back, obviously, to cover Rudiger. We did that. And with Thiago Silva getting older, you want to naturally look to the next level of center back, and we were playing with the back three. And Fofana coming in, Rahul, that one dragged out all summer long. I remember was we were watching and wondering if it's going to be 40, 50, 60, 70, ultimately almost 80 million euros he comes in for. And you look at Marco Correa, good. I mean, you needed a, a defensive player to support Ben Chilwell. And then a handful of you know young players that came in. You say, yep, Chelsea's building something here. This looks good. Can't complain. But like you said, it goes from there and it goes from the excitement quickly, quickly wears off. So let's jump into the beginning of that season with Thomas Tuchel. And you and I just talked about coming off what I would call maybe a poor preseason. And I think it's not fair maybe to say that because preseason means get your feet wet, kind of get understanding of who your first 11 is, what kind of football you want to play. But listen, Thomas Tuchel has been there now. He's going to season three or two and a half, whatever you want to call it. We should know what he's looking for, how he wants to play. And preseason really didn't shape up the way we were looking. We were beat 4-0 by Arsenal. We drew 1-1 against North Carolina, Charlotte FC. And they came back with a 16-year-old who scores a goal or scores a penalty in that game and makes it difficult for us. So all of these signs said something's not right with what's going on. And we knew the backroom you know, leadership had changed and some of the staff had changed. And Thomas Tuchel was playing a, a bigger hand in what was going on in and around the the stadiums but nonetheless we start opening week against Everton against Frank Lampard and I think that's very important to start this segment with and we win we get a 1-0 win and how are you feeling from there feeling good it was not the best of uh, best of performances I beg your pardon the result was good because we had lost there the season prior uh, so coming off of the first game of the season you win 1-0 I believe it was a Jorginho penalty if I'm not wrong yep. um, and Sure, it wasn't a 2-3-0 blowout, but it wasn't a loss, and it's you keep a clean sheet. You build off of uh, where you, you left off towards the end of last season, and, and you're feeling good, right? Because you 
you still expected at that point we hadn't seen Fofana come in, we hadn't yep. seen Aubameyang come in, and we were hearing a lot of names, and, and we're like, all right, you know what? There's something to build off of here, and performances obviously will get better as you get into the season and get fitter yeah. and get better. Um, so no, I felt good. I was looking forward in terms of you know what else was coming down the road in terms of games. I I know you'll bring up the next game, uh, which was one that everyone was excited about. But no, at that point, I th- honestly, I think Tuchel, you could tell a little bit, was frustrated, annoyed. Yeah. Uh, and you almost, at this point, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? And, and we can sit here and say that. But at that point, it felt good just knowing that we had picked up three points and we were on the way to starting the season. And you think you start slow sometimes, right? And I think for Chelsea fans, it's okay to start slow and kind of build off of it because the next game obviously is Tottenham and I'm jumping right into the Battle of the Bridge. We've had some super fiery fixtures with Tottenham through the years, and this one definitely did not disappoint, I'll tell you that much. But uh, from what I remember, the game, very heated. It ends 2-2. Koulibaly helps score a goal that helps get us into that draw. But I think the fiery antics at the end, you talk about maybe Tuchel's not comfortable, but you see him kind of passionate with Antonio Conte and holding him accountable for a handshake, which in many things, it's just a handshake, right? But for them, it's the passion of, ex-Chelsea manager versus current Chelsea manager, Tottenham versus, you know, Chelsea. How do we play this out? And it was great to see. And I think from there, like you said, there are no signs of any negativity around football at the very least, maybe things around the club. But it was a fantastic game to watch. Maybe you could have won that one. And you say, could start the season to win in a draw against Tottenham. We, we should have won that one. There's no way Tottenham should have scored right at the end uh, from that corner in the 96th minute. It was a foul on, I believe, Kukurea, whose hair was pulled. Um, and we're, we're questioning VAR. I mean, we yeah. deserve to win that game. And you even see Tuchel showing the passion that... I'm not saying he's never shown it, but running down the line and celebrating and kicking every ball. And, and it was just one of those games where... Early on in the season, you're like, all right, 2-2, you know, we'll settle for it or, or at 1.11. But both teams just went for it and said, you know what, yeah. we're going to give this our all and see where we end up. And honestly, it was almost the wrong time to play Tottenham in the sense that they were coming off of a good summer. They had made some signings, Conte's first full season, you can say. And they were always going to be tough to play and beat and beat, really. But I think we did a very good job of putting them on the back foot you know, uh, asserting our style. And on, like I said, if it wasn't for that dodgy call right at the end, we should have won that game. Uh, and then the handshake moment happens and you're like, this is the Tuchel I want to see. He's fired yeah. up. He's taking no prisoners and he's not going to take anything from anyone. But again, it leads to, you know, what happens in about a three, four week time frame is yep. maybe it's just a frustration behind the scenes that had built up in him. And uh, he was just taking that out on the pitch, which was okay with me. But he did. Maybe he did cross the line. Maybe he didn't. Who knows? But it was the Tuchel that we thought we were getting for the rest of the season. It really was. And you know, I want to talk more about it, Rahul. But in the interest of time, I'm going to summarize the next few games very quickly. So we go off that heated moment, and then we get annihilated. Maybe that's the easiest way to say that against Leeds three 0 And you wonder what's going on because you know you have a fiery match against Tottenham and then lose to Leeds. Maybe it's a blip in the season because we come back and we beat. Leicester and it's you know another win and we're like okay maybe things are back into winning ways next game come lose to Southampton and you know Southampton are a decent side again forget what we know today where they are getting relegated by the time with the players they have the likes of James Ward-Prowse and the style that they play 
they have an opportunity and you go, fine, okay, we lost to them, it's okay. Come back to the next one, we win. So it's like this up and down, topsy-turvy season so far. We go into Champions League. I was feeling confident. I thought that it was a time where, okay, our league form has been win, lose, win, lose. Maybe Champions League gives us a chance to reset. We're playing Dinamo Zagreb and with the highest respect to them, we really should be beating them. I, I think that's the easiest way to say that. But it's probably one of the most shocking performances I've ever seen in the Thomas Tuchel era, coming from him being a Champions League winner to being pretty competitive in the following season where we won the Europa Super League and we won the Super Cup. It's kind of those things where you go, we didn't get to win maybe a local trophy, but we went to the FA Cup final. And these are things that are very interesting. But unfortunately, it's not to be. Horrible game. You have a the final witness of Obama Yang coming in to maybe put that missing piece in place where he's like, okay, we lose the game, but Obama Yang's in. He'll give us a chance to kind of build on it. He looked okay. He looked all right for that game. But I don't know what happens after that. And maybe you can elaborate, but that is the final Thomas Tuchel game. It just seemed like at that point we were not going to win away from home after, you know, we'd beaten Everton away first game and then we lost to Leeds, like you mentioned, Southampton, Zagreb was was the final loss for Tuchel. Um, but even at that point after that game, I don't think any of us said, well, this is a Tuchel out, you know, uh, as we did later on in the season. And it just seemed like a surprise what happened the day after that. The day before that, we had just brought in Aubameyang and it just seemed like, now that the window is shut, it seems like we're fi- you're, we're focused on this squad. We will work with the players that we got and uh, just allow Tuchel some time to get things right. And it wasn't to be. It was an, un- an unfortunate ending, at least from a fan perspective. Of course, we found out a lot more that went down behind the scenes. And I'm not pointing fingers at either party, but there were things from both parties that were not right. And, and ultimately... Todd Bowley and, and the and the new owners make the decision as they as they have the power to, uh, and it's funny. I was just listening to one of the other podcasts on YouTube. It's called um, I think it's called High Performance, and I was listening to the Brighton CEO, and he said, "Yeah, Todd called. He said we're letting Tuchel go. We'd like to speak to Graham Potter, and they allowed it. Graham Potter obviously was excited, and so it seems like it wasn't. It just got to a point where." neither party was going to benefit from Tuchel's staying. And sure, we could have won three, four, five more games in this season. But once that relationship is broken down behind the scenes between the manager and the owners, and with everything the owners wanted to do, it just it just seemed like they had to make the decision. Yeah, I know we've talked a lot about this this season, so I'll try and keep my comments and thoughts brief. I think it was a mistake. I think that you look at Roman Abramovich coming in and knowing ultimately Claudio Ranreni was not his guy, but he allowed the season to play out and let things finish off before finding his right guy. And I think whether or not you have personal issues with Thomas Tuchel, I think this could have maybe gone on at least midway through the season or at least towards the end of the season. Because the way you described Graham Potter's appointment, which we're going to transition to here in a second, was everything was done in a snap of the finger. He's out, pick up the phone, call, hey, you're in. And everything seemed to work. And not to mention, we're spending 20, 21 million to buy Graham Potter out of his Brighton contract, which, again, like you said, Rahul, I think it's the theme. Hindsight 2020, if everything works, 20 million is a steal and Graham Potter is the future of English football and Chelsea's going in the right direction. Ultimately, that's not to be. And it's kind of a loss of money at that point in time. So uh, hard times for us as Chelsea fans. A lot of us had fallen 
dearly in love with Thomas Tuchel because of what he had brought to Chelsea Football Club. And not only the winning style, I think it was the press conferences and changing what we had come off with some things in the Frank Lampard, which again, I mentioned Frank Lampard because this is a very interesting story as it develops. But let's jump into Graham Potter's reign, Rahul. I think it started off very well. I don't know if there's an easier way to describe that, but wins against Crystal Palace, wins against uh, Milan at home, wins against Wolves, Milan away, he wins again 2-0, Aston Villa wins, and then we draw to Brentford, draw to Man United, win against Salzburg, lose to Brighton. So I think the loss to Brighton, this is where I'm going to stop for a second and bring you in, that 4-1 loss to Brighton, I think that's where things started to look different and maybe the new manager bounce was wearing off. It, it certainly was. It wore off pretty fast against his former team. And it's unfortunate for him that it was against Brighton because he would have wanted to go back and prove a point that, you know, he was right to take this bigger step. No disrespect to them, even though they, they ended up finishing higher than us this season. Yeah. Uh, and he maybe wanted to show that, look, I, I gave you everything I could, but this was something that I really wanted to pursue. Uh, but it almost worked the other way where Brighton wanted to show what he's left and and missed out on and credit to them. They, they just picked up where they left, left off under Potter, especially in this game. I know they didn't have the right results leading up to this game, but they came into this game with the right plan. We maybe weren't up for it, maybe made a few mistakes and, and ultimately paid the price and you lose four one. And, and I think that's really maybe the turning point where, some of the players may start questioning the manager and and certain things along the way happen but i think we he started off well it, it, it almost we said he we rushed into that decision of of you know bringing him in right. but with the unfortunate passing of the queen and then the international mm-hmm. break graham potter almost got two to three weeks with the squad or whatever yeah. players were left behind uh, and so it's, it was good because he could maybe work on a few things and we saw that in the first few games i mean Crystal Palace, ultimately, we get our goal of the season from that game. Aubameyang scores, and, and all of a sudden, we're like, you know what? We I think we, we can be a little positive, but you're right. That Brighton game, honestly, at that point, I still didn't think that this was just going to be something mm-hmm. that, you know, it's a slippery slope from this point forward because we were bad, but we could always come back and maybe sh- straighten up and shape up a little bit. But I think that was the turning point. It was a turning point, certainly from maybe a player's perspective, not from a fan's perspective. I think for you and I, at the very least, it was a blip, horrible performance, but it happens. We've seen the likes of Jose, Carlo Ancelotti, Conte, even these managers that have been so successful have had a blip where we lose, unfortunately, a good amount of goals and we go, oof, that was a bad one. Get rid of it, move on, and let's build from here. We ultimately go from there back to Zagreb win, which is almost righting the wrongs of what happened with Thomas Tuchel saying, Here's the opportunity to actually get the goals. And we had a very good Champions League group stage campaign with Graham Potter. And so that alone was giving us good vibes. I think we were, you and I at the very least, were working about Graham Potter's working his magic. And we were having little puns about Harry Potter and all of these kind of things. But you look at it from there, and that's towards November, right before the World Cup, right? And we have some tough fixtures, I'm not going to lie. But we played Arsenal, Manchester City, and Newcastle. And we had all those losses in a row. And it got to a point where sometimes you forget that those are difficult teams to play against, but you get to a point where it's like, really, we couldn't do anything against Arsenal. We couldn't do anything against Manchester City. And yes, Newcastle are challenging, but we're Chelsea. Can't we do something against them? I think it's not just the losses, right? And I think we've said this all season. I think it's the performances of how we almost 
couldn't hit the ball in the net no matter what we tried. And press conferences didn't endear us to Graham Potter as well as we go through it because XG came up a lot and, well, I expect to score goals and the boys gave it their all. And you almost felt like it was a broken record on repeat and we were not able to get out of this mess. But listen, November 12th comes, we lose to Newcastle. And at this point, all of us were saying, you know what, let's just go to the World Cup and get a break. And that's what happens. But Rahul, we come back, come back in December. We get a win against Bournemouth, 2-0. You and I excited. We've forgotten about the bad results against Graham Potter. But from there, my friend, it just got really, really horrible. It did. That that Boxing Day fixture, I think that was a Bournemouth game you just referred to, or the day after Boxing Day. It started off well. I think there was optimism from coming back from the World Cup and having the likes of Reese James back, who, who I'd like to point out did miss the World Cup and was injured uh, for some of those games that were leading up to the World Cup. And injuries were, were coming along the way. And I think we all understood that. We said, that's fine. Uh, it happens. It's a new manager. This is almost a transition season. And the Bournemouth game gave, gave us some hope coming back into it. But we weren't that great in that game. Yes, we got the goals. I believe it was Kai Havertz and Mason Mount. Uh, we got the goals. We did the job. And we said, you know what? We've got Nottingham Forest coming up. Mm. We have obviously City and then Fulham. And they, they, there are tough games coming. But we've started yeah. off on in a way that we'd like to continue. But Reese James did pick up an injury again in that Bournemouth game. And I think that dampened some of the positivity that was building mm. up. And like you said, after that, it just it just got worse and worse and worse. Yeah, and like I said, I want to spend a lot of time on some of these fixtures because you're trying to pinpoint what causes these issues. But obviously, in the interest of time for the podcast, we'll run through our January. Our January opens day with uh, Nottingham. We draw to Nottingham, and I think we're able to accept. And then we move on to play Manchester City. I don't think we were expecting too much out of it, but we lose 1-0. Not horrible, and we go, all right, we're going to the FA Cup. We're going to play Manchester City in the FA Cup. Maybe Chelsea can do something. Ultimately, we're destroyed 4-0, and I think that's where you see the cracks are no longer cracks. They're starting to become craters, and Chelsea fans are getting more upset and more frustrated. It's not losing the 1-0 and losing 1-1 or drawing 1-1 to Nottingham. It's We just didn't seem to have a fight. We didn't have to seem to care about the games. And you build from there, and it's another local competition, London derby against Fulham. And again, Fulham is a good team, so I'm not trying to disrespect them. But on paper, Chelsea should be beating beating them. And we lose 2-1, and you go, what is going on? Everybody's very angry, calling for the sacking of Graham Potter. I think even on this podcast, Rahul, we had come on and said, I think he needs to go. And you look at the results, and you look at it, and you go... In hindsight, a lot of the losses were, unfortunately, to Manchester City, Arsenal, and Newcastle, which are tough games. They are. But we're looking at at the play style and making those decisions, not just the losses. But Graham Potter does a little bit of a bounce back in January, gets a a win against Crystal Palace, 1-0, squeezes one in. And then we go on this weird run of form where we draw against Liverpool, draw against Fulham, draw against West Ham, and then three losses in a row. Dortmund, Southampton, and Tottenham. Rahul, I'll pause here. Should he have been fired at this point? You know, at that point, I said he shouldn't have, so I'm going to stick with that because it was injuries. There's a there's a huge thing that we haven't spoken about that, that went down in January, right? It was the influx of eight players, nine <laughs> players. Maybe Malo Gusto is, is out of that because uh, he was signed and then loaned back, but that's something that I'll I'll touch on here was 
we were having a horrible time. We were having a lot of injuries. And I think that was part of the reason we made some of these signings. But you bring in a Jao Felix, Jackie, which ultimately is for the starting 11. It's not something you bring into the squad. You bring in a Mudrik that was supposed to go to Arsenal. You bring in a Badishile. You bring in, bring in a Madueke. You bring in Andre Santos, Dacho Fofana, uh, Enzo Fernandez. I almost forgot him in the, in the list of all these players. And and great, right? From a fan perspective, we're like, wow, we're getting all these players, exciting players, young players. Enzo's just won the World Cup. He's going to walk into our midfield. And then you look at all the the news and the media reports Batishila is changing in the hallway. Mudrik's changing in the hallway. And now we have a squad of 30-something players. And no matter how good of a manager you are, no manager in the world football wants to work with such a big squad. And and I think that added to some of the issues that you've just mentioned, especially with the games along the way. Because you look at it, January 21st, you mentioned Liverpool nil-nil away. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And then we had about a two-week break where we went from Liverpool to Fulham, and I think this is where all most of those players came in, or, or mm-hmm. you know, the window ended. And we drew against Fulham. Okay, not bad. I think that was Enzo's first game. West Ham, Joe Felix scores. We're feeling good, but then those three losses. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's where it just all came came to a head. And of course, it wasn't all because of the behind-the-scene issues. We just weren't creating enough and and doing well in attack, uh, but. To go back to your original question, I didn't think he should have been fired because I do think with all the other issues behind the scenes and how many players were thrown at him, he was learning on the job. So thank you for bringing in January transfers because I think that's very, very important to discuss. And I think while Graham Potter had a difficult time there, we really haven't talked about Clear Lake and Todd Bowley and their involvement throughout all of this. And I think I'm going to throw them in for just a second, right? I think... We saw snippets of them, specifically Todd Bowley and, and Baydad Bali, coming into the dressing room and being at every game. And listen, you want your owners involved and you want them around and showing support. But I think for traditional football managers, they're probably not used to having the owner walking into the dressing room every time something goes wrong or having a snippy comment made in the news about that was a bad performance or whatever the situation is. And listen, a lot has happened, and I'm sure my timelines are off here and there, but I think the point I'm trying to make is that they were as much to play a part in this mess as maybe a Graham Potter or even the players, right? You've, you've signed off or ultimately sanctioned signing eight or nine players to add to the mix, and you sanctioned bringing Graham Potter in, and you sanctioned these changes that are coming with leadership around the club because we haven't even talked about the changes of who they hired throughout the whole process. So ultimately, we make it into February, and I think you and I were worried about our football club. I don't remember where we were on the table. I think it would be nice to kind of look back and see in February, maybe we're sitting 7th or 8th, which realistically, Rahul, I thought maybe Graham Potter could turn this around, and we're going to end up going maybe for 5th, 6th, and try and find a way out. But let me jump back into moving on into the later parts of February. And we have a chance after losing to Tottenham because he builds on it. A 1-0 win to Leeds. We go to Dortmund, and I think you and I were not optimistic, but he finds a way to carve out a 2-0 win, and you go, Champions League nights, this is what Chelsea lives for. We could win the Champions League still. How deluded we were back then. And we build on it further because we play Leicester, and we beat them 3-1, and we're like, listen, 
Graham Potts is back. The spells are coming back on. The new players are gelling. Enzo is fantastic. He's worth the $100 million. We haven't even seen Mudrik so much this time. Madueke has flashes. Everything's looking good. But from there, I think it starts again, my friend. We draw to Everton in March. We lose to Aston Villa. And ultimately, he's fired. And I think I'll pause you and hand it back to you. I think I started scratching my head because I said, we went on this atrocious <laughs> run of form where we drew three games and lost three games and he survived. And we lose to Aston Villa and he's fired. What are your thoughts on this and how do we build the season from here? And ultimately, does this kind of make a bigger mess of where we are in the season? It absolutely does because this move from the ownership or, or Todd Bowley or whatever you want to call it was to appease the fans. I mean, you asked me at the end of February, did I want him gone? I didn't, but there was a lot of voices and people around the club and, and even at Sanford Bridge with the booze that were not happy. And and that's I'm not blaming them, right? Because this is Chelsea. This is what we we expect us to be fighting for top two, top three, top four at the worst. And here, yeah. like we said, here we are sitting eighth, ninth. And instead of looking up and saying, Well, there's hope that we'll move up, I think we're looking from from behind us and saying Fulham seemed to have a game in hand. Brentford seemed to have a game in hand. And and we this is only going to get worse. Liverpool at that point, I believe, were in and around us. And so there's a lot of voices, people asking for Potter to go. And and you could see, I mean, he came in back in September, that first game he had against Salzburg. And you could see the glow up. You could see that he was ready for this challenge. And as the time went on and as he got more comfortable or uncomfortable in this seat, you could see the the facial expressions. You could see maybe the stress was was showing on his face. And I think we all just wanted him to maybe say a few things differently, maybe call out someone or or just do something where you get the fans on side. And it's okay to lose. I mean, we, we lost under Lampard as many times as we did, right? And I'm sure people were, were upset by that too. But... Um, Lampard always just was upfront about what we wanted and what, what the club was going through. And I think Potter tried to cover that up maybe because of his relationship with the owners. He was trying to impress them. Who knows? Uh, and so I think at that point, they made the decision. The decision was a little too late, like we've said multiple times, because you had a, a international break just a week before. You could have made the change there instead of uh, Saturday evening before a midweek game. So... I think it was just, it was to appease the fans. It was not something that they had planned for. And again, referring back to this podcast, I was listening to clubs usually plan for things along the mm-hmm. way and are, are ready for things to come down the line. In this case, you can see throughout our whole season, it was just chaos. We were just working off of like things off of just flying things off of the, you know, just whatever we feel like, whatever the owners feel like, let's go sign this one, let's go sign that one, let's fire this one, let's fire that one, let's fire the groundsman, uh, let's show up in Dortmund, and let's show up in Madrid and <laughs> say we're going to win 3-0. Uh, and it was just like everything's just on the fly, and this needs to change going forward. So Potter, I think maybe in a different time, a different club, at a different situation would be great at this level, but just didn't work out at Chelsea with all the chaos. Hearing you talk about all of the chaos has made me stress, and I think we need to take a quick break in the podcast and take a message from our sponsors for a minute, but we will be right back in just a second. 
The Premier Chelsea has partnered with Fubo TV. Fubo TV is your home for live sports and TV without a cable in the US and Canada. You can watch on all your devices, which means you don't have to miss any of the actions or goals that Chelsea score in the Premier League and Champions League. You heard that right. Fubo TV Network's broadcast Premier League, Champions League, and many other leagues and tournaments. So what are you waiting for? Start your free trial today at fubotv.com forward slash TPC. All right, and we are back. And just like Chelsea, we have to be back with a new manager for the remainder of the season. And I think we all thought it was going to be Bruno Saltor for a little bit, Rahul. Bruno Saltor was... I'm not really sure if he was the assistant coach to Graham Potter or one of the coaches that was part of Graham Potter's backroom staff. But obviously, when Graham was let go... There was a message put out that Graham had suggested Bruno was the right guy to kind of take the helm and kind of manage us from there and we'll go from there. And what a first match to get back into. And it's against Liverpool, who we don't have time to cover this, but they were going through their own struggles and how they bounced back to find a way up into the, the tops of the tables. But against Liverpool, and we played almost the same that we played against <laughs> with, with Graham Potter and you don't see too much difference and it's nail-nail. But as this game is going on, there's a certain manager, ex-Chelsea legend, and to build on that ex-manager of Chelsea that's sitting in the stadium watching this game, and that's obviously Frank Lampard. And within seconds, the rumors are all over the internet of Chelsea have called Frank Lampard. He's the next manager in line. He's coming back. And you and I are going, no, 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 no. Frank just here to watch <laughs> football. And you're like, no, he can't just come all the way just to watch football with Liverpool and Chelsea. What's going on? And lo and behold, the game ends nil-nil. The next day, I think Frank Lampard is announced as the caretaker boss for Chelsea. How did you feel at this point in time? And listen, I know it was like two and a half, three months ago, but it feels like it was yesterday, doesn't it? Because it's been such a strange run of form. Do you know what? When we were building up to this episode, I was trying to identify you know, what managers covered what game. And... As soon as I hit that Aston Villa game, I was like, yep, next one was Bruno, and then the rest of them were Lampard. <laughs> and and that, that's because it just it just feels so recent. And yep. that moment where we, I, you know, the news broke that we had the Potter go, I was like, what? Um, so that's kind of stayed with me. And then obviously we heard about Bruno coming mm -hmm. in. And shout out to Bruno. He was the only manager this season out of the four that was undefeated. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but no, he he stepped in. You could tell he wasn't comfortable, and, yep. and it was something that maybe was been spoken about in the past. But I don't think anyone expected, including Bruno and Potter, uh, that it would be happening this soon. So he did the best he could. But we did feel that we needed someone that maybe just knew a little bit more about being a manager. And in came Frank Lampard. And and you're right. When we saw him in the stands, uh, we were like, "Well, he's back." and didn't think much more about it, but there was obviously a bigger plan. And that was his first time coming back to watch us since he was fired. So there was definitely a bigger plan in place. Uh, when we heard about the Lampard rumors, my initial reaction was honestly, why? Because we knew what we, we had under Frank and it was good the first season. It was good for half of the second season. But all along, we couldn't keep clean sheets. We obviously right. knew this season we couldn't score. So it just seemed like it wasn't the right fit. But again, it was something done to appease the fans, to bring in a legend, to maybe hold off the fans till the end of the season and have this exhaustive manager search. Uh, but 
again, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I, I do believe that I think Lampard maybe should have stayed away, but that's just his love and passion for this club. You know what worries me, and you look back at it now and you wonder, I understand that it is the owner's first season in English football and they're trying to figure things out, but even with the Frank Lampard appointment, Rahul, while it appeased some of the Stamford Bridge faithful, I think it was more of a 50-50. I think there were fans that were like, a legend's back and and I'll be the first one to raise my hand and I said I absolutely love Frank Lampard and so if he's back to help us in our time of need and I, I say time of need with quotes here because I think we put ourselves in these difficult times but he's back he's stepping up to help us he's always going to be a, a legend for me but there's the other 50% of the fan base that goes exactly like you said it didn't end well you don't want to go back to your ex we conceded a lot of goals we were dumped out of so many competitions and we struggled why are we doing this? And I think the preface to that is Graham Potter had come off a really good comeback against Dortmund, which I think for some of us, and it wouldn't be for all of us, for some of us, that was the turning point where it said, no matter how the season goes, give the man till the end of the season because he's done something interesting here and we're going to be playing Real Madrid and we're going to have a chance to see what he can do against another level of opposition because to be fair, the Premier League at that point was not going to go in any direction that was positive for us. But Frank comes in, Rahul, and I'm just going to run through this very quickly because there's not much else to talk about. Wolves lost first game. Real Madrid lost 2-0. Very easy for them. They didn't even go to another gear. We meet Brighton again. Lost. Real Madrid come back. A lot of positivity around it. Loss. Brentford lost. Arsenal lost. So we're going on six losses in a row. And I think I said we were sitting in, I don't know, eighth or ninth with Potter. And with Lampard, we just kept kind of climbing down the table. We were going in reverse. And at that point, I think, me personally, I was completely numb. At this point, I said, I hope it doesn't turn into a relegation dogfight. And at some point, you and I were pretty worried after that Arsenal loss. Because to be fair, on mathematics, we could have been relegated if things just continued in that form. We we could have been. And I remember we did that episode together about a month ago or maybe a little bit longer at this point. And we spoke about relegation and what that would mean, not just to the club, but to the fans. And it was a a real concern in the sense that we just couldn't see where we were going to get a win. We just couldn't see how we were going to score enough to outscore the other team because we knew we couldn't keep clean sheets. And every, it was interesting because every time we, we had a game coming up, we said, this is where it's going to happen. It didn't happen. Second leg against Madrid. We're going to turn this around. It didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, Arsenal away. We're going to end their end their title <laughs> run. It didn't happen. And it almost seemed like, well, when is it going to happen, right? And uh, it all it happened ultimately when we didn't expect it to happen. Uh, but it was one of those where once we lost the first one on the Lampard, it wasn't going to get easier. With you said Madrid and Brighton yeah. and and Madrid again and Arsenal along the way, and it was just going to be tougher and tougher for for us to pick up a result and at that point we just wanted to secure a safety we did that and we just went back to being the old Chelsea yeah look we got safety against Bournemouth 3-1 I think for a very small second there we thought maybe we can build on this and when I say build on this Rahul I don't mean there's <laughs> going to be this astronomical change and Chelsea were going to be brilliant but we were probably going to stop bleeding goals and we're finding a way to squeeze out wins but ultimately I'll run through with the remaining of the games which is a 2-2 draw to Nottingham a loss to Manchester City a loss to Manchester United which was a pretty heavy one and a loss to a draw to Newcastle I beg your pardon so we finished the season it's over at this point I think 
Thank you, Frank, for coming back and helping us in our time of need. Again, in quotations, thank you, Bruno, for helping us. Graham Potter, whether you're his fan or not his fan, maybe unlucky, maybe lucky. I don't know what the right terms is. And ultimately, Thomas Tuchel, maybe the most unlucky of them all to not be able to finish out the season with Chelsea, given what but he's the, done. But the real season. reason we stayed in the league is Thomas Tuchel. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a, good, that's a good conversation point, I think, without seeing what Thomas Tuchel had done. And we go back to his his points that he had won for us, this could have been a completely different conversation. So thank you to Thomas Tuchel as well. So <laughs> you can see with four managers, Rahul, you can survive a Premier League. And so maybe you should continue hiring and firing. No, listen, I'm just kidding. That's definitely not the way to go. Uh, we finished 12, ultimately, Rahul, having won just 11 games, drawn 11 games, lost 16 games. And listen, we only scored 38 goals in the league so a goal a game is essentially what we ended up coming to as our average we go out to real madrid in the quarterfinals i believe we lost the fa cup and carabao cup in different rounds to manchester city so one of probably the poorest season that you and i have been chelsea fans but listen it's over now what more can we say it's over but the heartbreak continues with all the news breaking about us missing out on transfer targets and yeah players leaving and specifically Mason Mount I'm referring to. So mm. uh, it's over for sure. The season is, but I think we're going to continue to see the chaos for a little bit longer, which is tough for me to, to take because that's not how I want us to be going into the new season, but we close the chapter on one season and we hope that it just gets better from this point forward. And we'll just have to wait and see. That's what we just got to see, but let's continue on with a little more, conversation around the season review and kind of understand a few things that happened. I want to talk about a player of the season, and I know we've had a very difficult time and most of our team has underperformed. Is there anybody that in this dwindling season where all of the lights come out of Chelsea that kind of shunned a little bit for you? Don't take my silence for no one. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm just trying to think, right? Because... Thiago Silva is the obvious one, and he obviously got it through the the fans and, and the club for player of the season. I'm trying to think of others that weren't as bad as some of the others within the squad. Um, and honestly, I can't come up with anyone else. I mean, maybe Kepa for coming in and, mm. and doing what we asked him to do. Of course, he does concede a lot of goals, but for that per early part of the, the Potter reign, Kepa was doing pretty well. I mean, yeah. he picked up the save of the season for the three saves he pulled off against Villa. And so to keep things different, I think I'll go with Kepa. But you all know how I feel about Kepa. So it's a, it's it's interesting for me to be picking him. It's a great shot from you because I do think he had some memorable moments. And I know that it's been difficult for everybody. So we conceded 47 goals in the league this season, which... It's not terrible, Rahul, considering the season we had. <laughs> However, I think that if it was not for Kepa, that number could have been a lot higher. So uh, a good shout for me. I know that Thiago Silva is the player of the season, and that's not just because people voted for him. I think given what he brings and how he tries every single game. But I will say I want to give an honorable mention to Ben Chilwell. I think every time Ben Chilwell came on, you could see he would run his legs out he would do what he needed to do. He would try and chip in with the goal, try and cross. And I know it's been very difficult for him, but I will give an honorable mention to Ben Chilwell for, for the season. 
Every time he didn't come on, too, he looked good because Kukureya looked pretty bad. You just have to get a little digging at Kukureya. <laughs> I didn't ask you for the worst play of the season, so hold on to that. I may not even ask you that question because I know you're chomping at the bit to go for Kukureya. But let's transition to young player of the season. And, you know, we signed a few in the likes of Connie Chukumeka, I think David Datro Fafana. Anybody stand out to you as young player of the season? I think I have to go for... Again, I, to keep things different, I'll go for Badishile. Mm. He came in half the season, started off well, did well against, uh, did well next to Tiago Salway, I beg your pardon, and showed us what we invested in. Again, not a lot of money compared to some of the other signings. True, true. But he came in, he kind of studied the ship. You mentioned we went through a run of clean sheets in mm. that end of January, early February period, and he was heavily featured in that. And for a player to come in from a different league mid-season, to come in into a chaotic situation, to come in and, and compete against the likes of Thiago Silva, Koulibaly, Fofana, um, I think he did well for himself. And he's one that would be my young player of the season. But again, that's only to keep things a little bit different. No, I think it's a good, good shout. I don't. Sometimes I don't think of Badia Sheila as young, right? He's only 21, I believe. And so a great, great shout there. For me, Rahul, I went with Lewis Hall. And I think... Lewis Hall found a way into Frank Lampard's heart towards the end of the run here. And you saw him playing a lot more at left back. And that's obviously Ben Chilwell had an injury. Kukurea had some injuries. But you already told me how you feel about Kukurea playing, <laughs> even when he's fully fit. And I think at some point you could see Graham Potter felt the same way because he was playing Lewis Hall even when Kukurea was fit at that left back or left wing back position. So, no, he's got a, a good left foot on him. He's got a good cross on him. I know he's naturally a midfielder, but he's one that could benefit from alone at maybe a club that's not in such chaos. And that's scary to say that Chelsea's a club in such chaos, but maybe not even a championship team, but a team that is willing to give him games in the Premier League because he's clearly proven he can do the business. And if he's at left back, great. If he's in his natural midfield position, I'd love to see the young man develop and see what he can bring to Chelsea in the future there. I want to transition to game of the season. We've had some stinkers for most of the season. It can be outside of the Premier League. It can be in the Premier League. It can be in the Champions League. What's your game of the season that you can recall? It's pretty easy. Bournemouth away, 3-1 win, secure our position <laughs> in the league. And that was the only game that we needed to win this month. And that's my game of the season. And it's also, I think it's also the only game that you and I got to watch together in person. There you go. That's Chris. another reason. Thank you. A, a, lovely, a lovely memory to share in a, in a very difficult season. But... For me, Rahul, it was the Dortmund comeback for a little bit, for just a little bit, I believed that <laughs> Chelsea was going to do something brilliant this season and show me something brilliant. But look, it is what it is. There's some of the things that we can take positives from. Speaking of positives, do you have a goal of the season from the 38 in the Premier League or the handful in Champions League and other competitions? Oh, boy. Um, why don't you give us yours while I think through which one is mine? Yes, I don't remember if this was Bournemouth or somebody else, but uh, the Kovacic goal with the Mukaya Mudrik assist. That, that was, was Leicester. That was a good one. That was Leicester, yeah. So that was a good goal. That's when I say Kovacic doesn't score a lot of goals, but when he does, they usually are pretty goals to watch. Jao Felix had some lovely goals as well with his dancing feet, so he's a good honorable mention. But for me, Kovacic was a great goal to watch, a great goal. That that definitely was a good goal. And Kovacic, like you said, doesn't score many, but that most likely is going to be 
his last one in a Chelsea shirt. So, um, you know what? I'm I'm gonna go for the same game, and it's of of course because of the goal too. But from the yeah. ball from Enzo to Kai Havertz, mm, yeah, and then Kai kind of flicks it over the goalie. I'm gonna go for that one, but that's mainly down to the vision from Enzo. And I think that's what's interesting to see is that you can remember a season where or a game where we score so many goals that you can actually say <laughs> both of those are coming from there. Because for a while there, I think there was a little joke running. I think it was February that we had a uh, goal of the, the month was one goal for the entire goal of the month. So we make fun of it to just be lighthearted, but it has been a very, very difficult I'll, I'll give you another one. And this is from the one the game that I really enjoyed was the Tottenham-Chelsea game at mm, home. Yeah. And Reese James scoring, yeah. The second goal, the atmosphere, Jackie. the The roof was about to come off of Stamford Bridge. <laughs> Thomas Tuchel was running down the line, doing his prime Jose Mourinho, and that that honestly, between the the Kai Havertz one at Leicester and this Reese mm. James one, um, those would be my top two. Look, I'll take the Reese James one, but it just feels like it was so far long ago that was it doesn't this, even this feel season? like it was... Maybe I'm messing yeah, it up. Yeah, <laughs> I know. No, it's just one of those where it feels like it's so far away. Uh, moment of the season, one to forget. I'll go first and I'll tell you why I'm one, one to forget. I think the firing of Thomas Tuchel, and I, and I want to say this because I think a lot of people say, oh, you just want to say because Thomas Tuchel had won the Champions League. I think maybe we would have not won anything this season, to be very fair. Maybe we would have not had a great season, but I think we wouldn't have had such a bad season if we had stuck with Thomas Tuchel. So for me, that is a moment to forget. And I'm not here crying and saying, oh, I wish Thomas Tuchel stayed and he was the best manager ever. But I think if our owners had decided to stay with him till the end of the season or a little bit longer, it could have been a completely different season for us. That's that, I mean, look, that's a situation or, or a time where a lot of people would go back to and, and change it for Chelsea because... We definitely do think Thomas Tuchel would have would have done better, but who knows, right? Uh, one to forget. I mean, there's so many that I would like to forget <laughs> from this season. Uh, I'd like to forget this season in general, but um, we didn't lose heavily in a lot of games, mm. but we did against United, yeah. and that was one where I almost didn't want us to even... I just wanted to spark the bus, really, because... We lost that first game in the Lampard era, 4-0 away to United. And for Lampard's sake, I really just didn't want us to go in and concede that many goals away to United. I was okay losing the game. I expected us to lose that game. But mm. for us to kind of fall apart, make mistakes, and and bring it upon ourselves, really, where, where we lose 4-1, I think that's one I'd like to forget. But again, it's also way at the end of the season. So there's a ton of other moments ahead in in uh, in the season that I'd like to yeah. forget. Yeah, listen, that's a fair one. It's hard to stomach those goals, especially against a rival that we've made fun of for the last few years, and you can see them kind of flipping the tables on us at this point in time. So difficult one to swallow. The last question I have, and we'll move on to one more final topic, is your signing of the season. And I think that's <laughs> a big one because, look, I think we signed like 87 players this season. We had a full dressing room. We sold nobody. Who is your signing of the season? My signing of the season is Malo Gusto. Okay. <laughs> so can you tell me why you've gone with Malo Gusto when he hasn't even pulled on the Chelsea shirt yet? That's exactly why I've gone for <laughs> No, jo jokes aside, I think it was a position we needed to strengthen with mm -hmm. Reese James issues. 
we'd all love for Reese James to be fit, ready to play every game, but it just seems like that's not going to be the case. And with all respect to Aspilicueta, we needed someone that could maybe come in and give us the same output as uh, Reese James. And it looks like Malo Gusto from the videos and, and some of the games that I've watched of him, he is going to be doing that. No pressure for him, right? Uh, just kidding. I, I think it's a position we needed. So for me, that's mm-hmm. that's one that I'm, I'm looking forward to. It wasn't a lot of money. And typically when Chelsea don't spend millions and millions and millions on a player, they end up doing better than, than the big money signing. So that's one that I think for me is going to be my signing of the season. But I, And that's, again, to be different because I know I could have picked Benoit Badishile. I could have picked Enzo. I could have picked Mudrik. Uh, but something just to maybe stand out. And a very interesting perspective, because I think a lot can be said about forward-thinking momentum of Chelsea, and you could see our January transfer business was forward-thinking as to what will happen, because I don't know what Malagusta is going to look like in a Chelsea shirt. We had high expectations of Mudrik that hasn't come to fruition. I went for Benoit Badeshiel, and I explained to you just for a second here, uh, KK was supposed to be the next Rudiger, the truth of the matter is it hasn't really panned out the way it's supposed to be. We paid 40-odd million. He's 31 years old. Is he going to bounce off next season and do well? Maybe, hopefully. That's what we'd all like to see. We paid 80-odd million for Fafana. What I've seen is he's absolutely fantastic, but he's got his injury problems, which gives me a little bit of a scare. And Enzo is probably everybody's natural fantastic player of the season, but 105 million or 106 million broke the British transfer record for a midfielder. So for me... Benjamin Badashil, I think there's a lot more for him. His ceiling can go to the next level. And speaking of money, Rahul, I think we paid 25, 30 million for him. So in my opinion, the steal, if he continues in the form that he is and he gets a chance to get a run in in this team, it would be an absolute steal to see Benoit Badashil in this Chelsea lineup for the future. I, I definitely agree. And I, I want to give some honorable mentions, Jackie, to players that we have seen, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful to them by going for Malagusto, but Nani Madueke oh, yeah. came into the final part of the season, has impressed. Andre Santos, he's not played for us, but he's impressed everywhere else he has played. Uh, so one I'm looking forward to. And then there's the Italian kid, Cesar Casadei. I'm, hopefully I'm not messing his name up. Another one that's impressed away on loan, and then again at the Under-20 World Cup. So there's a lot of potential and future uh, that we've bought here and and players that we hopefully can come into the squad and do well. Uh, So just wanted to give them a shout out. Yeah, listen, I hope that the future is bright for Chelsea. And I think this is a great point, Rahul, to transition from the season review to what we as fans expect from here going forward. And I know we'll do a little bit of a summer series. So if you're listening to us, we may not be able to release content as frequently as we used to, but we'll find some interesting things to talk about this summer. Lots of transfers, Mauricio Pochettino coming in. We might follow Chelsea on tour in the United States. So that might be interesting as well. But I want to ask you this question so we can wrap up the podcast and kind of get your perspective on this. What are your expectations purely as a fan? What needs to happen from today till we start the season? I think the season starting in... August 8th, what do we have to do for this to kind of kick off and be positive for next year? Yeah, look, we have to clean up the squad. We've said it. Everyone said it. You can't have that many players in the squad with lone players coming back and expect a manager to be able to do well, right? So that's the first thing that needs to happen. We need to let players go that are not part of the plans, players maybe at the end of their contract uh, that we need to cash in on because we spent a lot of money. We have to still spend money. 
So we can't hold on to players in the expectation that they'll sign a contract later on in, in, in the summer or, or the season. There is an exception to that, and that's Mason Mount for me because that boy yeah. is Chelsea through and through. And there's a lot of reports, news coming out from every source related to the club, not related to the club. And so my one request to Chelsea fans would be don't turn against Mason Mount because everything you read and hear isn't going to be right, isn't going to be 100% or isn't going to be the, the right thing because I could tell Jackie something today. Jackie could tell someone else something. And along the way, the news changes and, and the message changes and people interpret things differently. So don't turn on Mason Mount just yet. If he leaves, there's a lot of people to be blamed, including himself. But let's not just turn on him just yet. Uh, apart from that, Jackie, I think Pochettino has to be working behind the scenes, even though he's not contracted with us to start july 1st and he needs to have a say on who stays and who goes and if the likes of kai Havertz and mason mount are the ones he wants then we need to do whatever we can to hold on to them we can't be looking at moving them on just for the profit or for the money uh, which concerns me because i am seeing those boys being linked away with with the club and that's fine if he doesn't want them but he hasn't even walked in the door yet he hasn't seen them train he hasn't seen them do anything behind the scenes uh, and so for them to be moving on does concern me a little bit. But look, th- th- this month has to be cleanup. Kovacic, if he has to leave, he has to leave. And Golokante maybe be moving to Saudi Arabia. Uh, a lot of cleanup needs to happen. And then when we start on July 1st, it has to be about fitness. It has to be about getting fit, staying fit, doing whatever it takes to take care of your body. Because the number of injuries we had this season was ridiculous i mean you could you said 38 goals in 38 games i think we had one injury per game which is crazy uh so fitness needs to be top of the priority nutrition needs to be top of the priority and whoever comes in needs to believe that they're going to make the squad better and make this team better and we just kind of take it from there i'm not going to say we need to win every trophy we're in for because that's ridiculous we just need to show improvement if we end up in sixth seventh that's better than where we are right now so those though that's what i'd like to see will i get to see it i don't know great points my friend and lovely words about mason man i think as chelsea fans we try to compare him and i think there's a lot of news about oh he's a snake like courtois because he's trying to force his way out of the club or he's like lukaku or he's like rudiger where he's not signing the contract i think ultimately there is a lot of news that's coming in and out and i think the subtle differences between some of the players i mentioned and mason mount is he's been here since he's eight years old I think making a change, whether it means leaving Chelsea or joining another club in the Premier League or leaving England, that has to be a huge decision that he would have to take. And I think believing stuff that we read online every single day may not be factual. I'm not saying that some of the news outlets are not correct and Mason's not even thinking about leaving. It's possible that he's thinking about leaving because things are not working out. But let's give him a little bit of time and let's see how things work out and we'll cross that bridge when we went there. But lovely words and good advice from you. I think what I want to add to that is... One thing I would like to see is that our ownership is less involved. And that's a very scary word because I don't mean less involved, but I mean maybe less interference on the day-to-day business. I think Todd Bully and Clear Lake and Baydad have done a good job of finding some of the best footballing brains out there. We've not even talked about them, Rahul. We've got Vivelle and we've got the other guys that have come in from different clubs that have footballing pedigree and knowledge. Let them run the day-to-day business. And obviously... Big decisions still have to run through ownership, and that's normal. 
but I don't want to see owners coming in day to day to training. I don't want to see owners coming day to day into the team dressing room. I don't want to see impromptu conversations on people's camera phones of negative things said that needs to stop. And I think one more thing that's very important, and I think this is more of a Mauricio Pochettino thing, is with the players that are left and the players that he tries to bring in and the players that he tries to promote, because I think that will be very important, is try and build a sense of leadership in a few of them. Try and bring some motivation, because clearly this team has a lot of talent. You can see that. You can see that they want to play football, but the motivation, the desire, the hunger is kind of gone. And so having the right leaders, having the right motivation in there, that alone is enough to take me from 12th to, like you said, a fifth, a sixth, a seventh. As long as we play some good quality football and kind of build on it, and maybe we're setting our expectations low. Maybe Mauricio Pochettino will come in and bring us back to the top four. But I don't want to put that kind of pressure because that's important as well. It's figure out what we expectations are. But it's going to be an interesting turnaround for the rest of the season. So I'm hopeful. I'm praying. But we'll do a little more content as and when we get more information. But why don't you take us home from here? I, 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 what you've said about the owners, I hope I hope they listen, but we'll, time will tell. I think this summer is going to be another chaotic one, so we'll we'll be watching, we'll be sharing our, our thoughts and um, everything along the way. But that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, please continue to listen, subscribe, and follow us it's at the Premier Chels on all podcast providers, Instagram, and on Twitter. It's at Premier Chels. And just a thank you from Jackie and I. I know it's been a long season. You've tuned in. You've listened to hours of our content. So thank you for, for tuning in and thank you for supporting us. And if you'd like us to grow and, and continue reaching other fans, drop us a review on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or just send a link to one of your friends that you think may enjoy the content. And if there's any content this summer that you'd like to listen, send us a message. We're, we're on Instagram, on Twitter, like I said. And we'll try to incorporate that and, and do different things on, on here. But until then, stay safe and up the chels. Hey, guys. The Premier Chels is sponsored by Kickoff Coffee. They are a top-quality artisanal roasted coffee. In other words, they're Champions League winner and Premier League winner every single time. They deliver fresh bags directly to your home, so you don't have to go to a coffee shop and pick up something. And the best part about them is every bag gives back to soccer charities. 10% of the proceeds go to organizations that use soccer to promote youth social development in the underserved areas. Use our code TPCOFFEE15 to get 15% off your order. You can order at kickoffcoffeeco.com or check out the links on our social media. Thanks.